And on to a new RFM, it's time for Thursday Finance. Stephen Pritchard joining me, Jane Klein, today. And today we're going to look at your holidays and your investment portfolio and why you should consider investing offshore. We'll also have our market snapshot with Henry Jennings and see what the commodities are up to. Stephen Pritchard, commodities time. What are things up to at the moment? The dollar's not doing quite so well today, is it? Today as well. It's going. The dollar, the dollar if we start with currencies, yes, the dollar continues to fall. Um, it closed at 81.28 US cents last night, so it's down 2% on the on the week again, um, we're down again against the uh, British pound by um, just a 1%. Um, the yuan, which is the Chinese convertible currency, we're down by 1.6%. Um, NZ dollar, we're down by um, about a quarter of a percent. The, the, the euro, we're down by 1.2%. And the Canadian dollar, we're also down by 0.8%. Do we so, have a reason for this? Uh, yes, yes, <laughs> of course yes, we do. Of course we have. <laughs> um, the the continued fall in the iron ore price, which hit a five week low, uh, sorry, five year low, sometime in trading yesterday, and the also continued fall in the coal price. So, yeah. two two of Australia's biggest um, export commodities have um, continued to fall, and um, the weakening of the, the consequence of weakening of the Australian dollar. Mm. Um, the gold price was was down as well. In, in that's quite in US dollars. It was down by about half a percent on the week. The silver price was down by about five percent on the week, and um, copper was up marginally, and the tin price was also marginally down. But but the continued fall in the iron ore and the coal price is a major fix on the Australian economy. Mm. Um, on the share markets around the world. Um, they were also all down on the week. The the Australian All Ordinaries was down almost two percent on the week. The Dow was down one percent, but the Dow was up at one percent last night. So um, things and the All Ordinaries is up again this morning here. Um, well, the, that's good news. That's, that's good news. The UK market was down two and a half percent. The Japanese market was down three point four, and the Hong Kong market was down almost four percent on the week. Mm. Okay. And um, what about oil? Is oil, that our next yes, little? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. What's happening there? Well, BHP is really taking a hit here. Um, you know, the big, big profit producers, iron ore, coal, and now oil was down eleven percent on the week. Oh dear. So that's that's going to flow through to um, BHP and and Rio because they're, you know, so you expect their share prices to fall, which they have done. Um, Do you think it will affect the dividends they pay? Mm, probably not yet because BHPs traditionally have a very low payout ratio. Um, but if, if prices do continue to fall, eventually they will um, mm. affect. I, I think it's more likely to affect Rio's dividends before BHP because Rio carries a lot more debt than BHP. Okay. Yes. And um, unfortunately, the uh, while there has been some um, decrease in fuel prices, um, it's not reflected in um, the same extent as the, the fall in the crude oil prices. Um, at the Bowser, yeah. Yes, at the Bowser. Um, we've been hard done again by here in Newcastle. Um, the, the, over the week, the uh, Central Coast oil price, uh, the unleaded fuel price was down by about 2%. Uh, the Newcastle fuel price was down by 1%. 
And lo and behold, the Sydney fuel price is down by 4.5%. Okay. Mm. So, you know, it appears that we're once again paying more for our fuel in this region than... um, than than some of the other, some cities. of the other, mm. um, with no explanation as to why that's the case. Mm. Well, I suppose there's not to give explanations. There's just to uh, <laughs> mm. do and let us take the consequences. Yes, and diesel's similar. Um, the diesel, the diesel price in uh, the Central Coast was down one and a half percent. Newcastle is down about one percent, and Sydney's down about one point three percent. So it's interesting that the price differential in the petrol price in Sydney compared to Newcastle is now over 15 cents a litre. Mm. And that is a big difference. We're talking about um, close to 15... 15 cents? Uh, yeah, 15 cents, which is close to 20% price differential. Yeah, yeah. To FM Thursday Finance and Stephen Pritchard, ahead of our market snapshot... Why don't we send Barry Preston a cheerio back and, yeah. Hi, Barry. We've done that. He's not replying. Not replying. (laughs) He's not here. He'll probably (laughs) ring you in a minute. He might indeed. But time for a market snapshot and Henry Jennings joining us. Hi, Henry. Things are looking up. How are you? Good, good. Things are looking up. Must be the Christmas cheer coming in. Uh, Well, I think uh, Janet Yellen last night has saved um, Santa from some embarrassment, yes. Uh, Good. Good. So what what happened this week? There's the uh, Telstra and the new MBN agreement. Do you think that's favourable for the Telstra shareholders? Um, I think it generally is favourable. They, they, they were going to be given $11 billion by the government. They're still going to be given $11 dollars, but now they're actually um, going to be uh, selling the government not only their copper wiring, but also their... Um, their, their fibre cabling as well, but the important thing is they will um, relinquish control over the maintenance of this, and as a result, um, they may even win the contract to maintain it. So, um, can, can be um, can be good in both ways for Telstra. So, I think it's they've done a good deal with the government again. I think they'd be very happy to get rid of the old copper wire network. To be honest, the maintenance bill on that must be rising. Some of that must be a hundred years old. Well, it is, but don't forget that if they rip it all up and sell it for scrap, there's quite a lot of value there as well. Yep, yep, yep. And so (laughs) APRA is continuing to warn about the lending by banks for property investments and in particular interest-only loans and threatening to uh, introduce some some lending restrictions. Do you think that's likely to happen? Um, I think it is likely to happen. I mean, they're obviously waving this big stick at the banks and they're trying to take some of the the heat out of the property market. So, um, you know, it's certainly one way to do it, and it's been um, it's been sort of done overseas. The UK has been uh, tightening their lending criteria as well, and also uh, New Zealand too, to try and take some of that heat out of, um, especially the investors and uh, overseas buyers piling into uh, Australian property and forcing out the um, the first time buyers. Yeah, is that is that actually happening? You think, or is do you think that's just the media running well, stories? Well, the overseas investors, are they really buying the same properties yep. as first-home buyers would buy or, or are they buying more expensive ones? I think they're buying uh, anything they can get their hands on, to be quite honest. Oh, okay. um, certainly, anecdotally, from what I've heard about development, especially in the city near, um, you know, inner city, um, units and apartments, um, they sell out in 20 minutes and most of the buyers are from Hong Kong and, and China, so... Um, I don't. Uh, I don't think that's that's changed. They may change the name on the deeds to make it 
look as if it's local or that maybe their sons and daughters buying it. But um, I, I think we're certainly seeing a big influx of people trying to get their money out of places. Oh, yeah, out of China, that's for sure. And so, yeah. yeah, and so the OECD's also come out and recommend that Australia should increase its GST rate. Oh, they're nice. They're great, the OECD. Um, they're always good enough to recommend things. So um, it's very kind of them to, for them to offer some advice. I guess it's, it's the big conversation that um, Australian governments are going to have to have as we go forward in terms of the revenue base. And we saw this week um, the uh, the MyEFO showed that uh, basically the government has, uh, has has got a bit of a black hole appearing again in its revenue. This is something the Labor government had uh, and the, um, the coalition about this um, but um, you know we've still got Joe Hockey having the same problem as iron ore prices go down as oil prices go down um, we're seeing less and less revenue from uh, from companies and individuals as the unemployment rate goes up so they're going to have to fill this hole somehow um, and the easiest way to do it would be to raise the rate of GST especially given the states are complaining um, that they're ones that benefit from the GST income they're the ones complaining that uh, they don't have enough income to run their services so um, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to have to rise eventually. It's just a question of, I guess, how they uh, cloak it and also how they um, they offset with tax cuts for um, lower-paid workers. Yeah, I mean, the problem with that is that there was a number of taxes that were, were supposedly going to be abolished when the GST came in, and that never occurred. So I, I, I don't know whether the public's going to be so trusting again this time. I mean, the New South government was supposed to abolish stamp duty on um, commercial buildings and... Um, uh, unlisted securities, and they've been deferring that for 14 years now. Yeah, yeah well, you know. I, I think uh, I, I think you know that they're going to have to uh, do something a bit more radical than tinkering around the edges. Yeah, I think the whole system needs to be rethought. And of course, you touched yeah. on the fall in the iron ore and oil prices, yeah. and um, you know the coal prices are continuing to fall. Yeah, we, we've seen a massive volatility pick up in the last few weeks, and we've seen huge swings in, in Russia with the ruble collapsing. Uh, some nights it's gone down 12, 13%. Um, last night it bounced 6%. We've seen the US get jitters. We've seen the oil price collapse to under $60. Uh, we've seen the Aussie dollar collapse as well to sort of 81 cents. Um, so it's been a wild, wild ride, especially overseas. Um, our market's come back quite a long way. And although it has bounced quite well today on the back of a 300-point rise in the US, um, I have to say, I think that the risks seem to continue to be building um, against our economy. We do have some serious headwinds, and the, and the MyEFO earlier this, this week suggested that. We've got some issues with Greece as well. Um, they could um, have a change of government, which would put all the, um, all the, the austerity measures in, in, in uh, jeopardy. So it, it's been interesting. It's been very, very volatile. Um, and I think we've only had two days out of the last uh, eight or nine that the market's actually been up. That was yesterday and today. today. Thursday finance, and we're in the middle of our market snapshot. Stephen Pritchard with Henry Jennings. With Henry Jennings. Um, so we're talking about the uh, rise in the market over the last couple of days, but the continuing bad news in the fall in um, uh, oil, um, iron ore and coal prices. I mean, BHP's got a bit of a trifecta here, hasn't it, Henry? It certainly has. I mean, I, it seems bizarre, really, that it wasn't that long ago that people or rightly pointed out that a falling oil price was actually good for the economy in terms of um, consumer spending. People had more money in their pockets rather than putting money into their petrol tanks. Um, but it's, it's 
somewhat um, worrying, I guess, that the speed uh, and, and the severity of the slide in oil um, and the um, OPEC continue to suggest that they're not going to cut production. They're not even going to meet for an awful long time. So um, it, it is somewhat worrying because a lot of people have geared up their oil production through cheap money. Um, and um, if that starts to unravel, that could get quite nasty again. So um, yeah, BHP has been whacked. I think they got to a five-year low the other day. They've had a sort of a 3% bounce, but they, they're certainly um, certainly struggling because, as you say, that the, the, the two biggest businesses they have, which is iron ore and, uh, and oil, are both under serious pressure at the moment. So um, um, some of it is their own making because they continue to pump an awful lot of iron ore out into China. Um, and uh, as a result, you know, that does keep a, a bit of a lid on the price. So um, some of it is their own making. They could probably um, get the iron ore price up if they cut production. Um, it's assuming Rio doesn't step it up to, to cover BHP's cut, of course. Yeah, well, of course, but, you know, BHP, Rio and, and Vale yep. are all equally hurting, and That's it's a right. bit like um, a bit like the price war that was going on with Qantas and Virgin. Um, they were both hurting each other to the point where it was becoming you know, um, yeah. just, just mutual assured destruction, I think we used to call it, with uh, with Russia and the US. And I think, uh, you know, at some stage that BHP, Rio and Vale, not that they would get together and collude, uh, not that Qantas and Virgin did, but I'm sure they're white flags, Will, uh, will go up as they inflict more and more pain on each other. No, that's right. And, and in the oil market, um, there was talk about Santos was going to do a equity raising. Has there been any more news on that? Uh, no, Santos were really beaten around the head um, quite badly. Um, they were doing a, a raising in uh, in Europe on hybrid uh, debt instrument, um, but they had to pull that due to the state of the oil market. The oil market has bounced a little bit, and Santos have bounced um, from seven bucks back to eight bucks. Um, but still, there are some, you know, there are some question marks over it. They have got quite high debt levels, so I'd imagine at some stage they are going to have to uh, raise some money or sell something. They might be able to sell uh, some pipeline or something and then raise money that way. Yeah, yep, that's right. Um, unless, of course, the oil price goes back up dramatically, which is not likely to happen, I would suspect. So well, what? it's probably got a bit of a bounce in it. It's, um, you know, it, it, last night it, it bounced um, 6% at one stage before closing up about 2, 2.2%. So um, there is probably a little bit more of a bounce in the oil price, only that people will probably want to square up pre-Christmas, pre-the break. Um, and it's had such a massive fall that all the shorters will probably be quite happy to take their money, run and go and have a very nice Christmas. That's right. And where do you think the interest rates will go in the new year? Um, in Australia, in Australia. I, I mean, I think uh, in I think Australia we're not going to see much change in interest rates for some time to come. There has been a lot of people calling for um, for cuts in rates, yep. um, but I don't think that's really going to happen. The language from the RBA still talks about stability and uh, and keeping rates on hold for some time to come. So I suspect we will continue to see rates on hold in Australia certainly for the next. Um, for five months, um, and the U.S., I'm still convinced that the U.S. will be raising rates, even if it's only by a nominal amount, um, come sort of, um, well, our autumn, March, April, um, when they will start to return the U.S. interest rate settings to a, norm, to a more normalised setting. And what's your prediction on the share market in the new year? Our market. Yes, our I, market. I think, I think, I think we're going to. I think we're going to continue to struggle. Our economy mm -hmm. has some serious headwinds. Um, yep. the, the banks are going to continue to drive the market, whether it's up or down. 
And at the moment, you know, apart from the, the big yield argument, it's hard to see where they're going to get a lot of growth. And they are going to get a lot more regulations coming down the, the, mm. the, uh, the turnpike. So um, I think we're going to struggle. We're probably in a trading range between maybe 5,000 and 5,400 for the next six to nine months. Um, and I think you trade that accordingly. When it gets up to 5,400, you start selling. And when you get down to 5,000, you, you buy it. Yeah, I think I think you're right about the economy. I was over at one of the local shopping centres here last Sunday, and a number of the, the there wasn't particularly a lot of people there, and yeah. for this time of the year, and a number of the stores are having twenty and thirty percent off. And yeah, I think I think uh, retailers are going to have a really really tough Christmas. I think a combination of um, the internet and consumer confidence and and all the other things and the terrible tragedy that we've seen in Sydney yeah, this week. Yeah. Um, I think is going to keep people, um, you know, and we're, we're hearing about, you know, job cuts. Um, I think yep. Heinz cut uh, 50 people today, closed one of their plants in, uh, in uh, I think it was in Victoria. Um, and, you know, I think we're going to continue to see job losses, high-profile job losses, and the job gains are, are tend to be sort of a, a slightly more quiet and certainly more part-time and less well-paid. So I think we're going to continue to see our economy struggle, lack of direction, and I, you know I think retailers are going to really struggle in this environment. Yeah, especially if they're discounting at this this time of the year. Well, um, I think you know I, I don't I can never really see that you know, everyone rushes out and buys presents so they can open them on Christmas Day. But you know, one, do you really need more stuff? And, and two, if you wait a day, you're going to get a lot more presents. That's right. That's right too. <laughs> Thanks for Speaking that, of which, Henry, um, it just remains seeing it's our last finance program for the year for us to wish you a very happy Christmas and thanks for keeping us up to date on the markets through the year. Thank you, Jane, and a very happy and prosperous new year um, to all your listeners and, uh, and, and stay safe over the break. This time next week it will be Christmas Day, but we're still on Thursday finance and it's still a week away to Christmas. However, the holiday season is coming and Stephen Pritchard, um, yeah, what does that mean for you? We, you we, thought we'd get, we thought we'd give you some work over the holiday season and you oh, could have, sure a, you uh, have a clearance sale on your... Uh, or maybe a clearance sale, uh, on um, your investments. I mean, right. Holiday season's always a good time when, when you're relaxed to pull out your investment portfolio and have a look what you've made over the last um, six months or so and what you've lost on and um, perhaps it's time to bury some of those mistakes and it's always hard to hard to uh, psychologically to admit you're wrong. So, you know, sell some of the things you, you think you've lost money on and or you've lost money on and you don't think there's... Um, there's uh, any chance of recovery. Um, some of the things you made a profit on, you might want to sell some of those and lock in some of the profits and look around for some bargains in the in the market, just like the the shops will have after Christmas that you you may want to buy. There's always bargains there if you, you you put the work in and look hard enough. And not just in the shopping centre. So shopping um, centre. if you've got a stock that is making has made some profits over the last six months, um, it might go on and make more profits. It might. It might. I mean, you need to, need to look what your objective is. I mean, if, you, if you're looking to run a, a balanced portfolio, it's always good, you know, if you've got some rule that no stock represents more than... You need to put in place some rules. And if you're happy to have the no stocks represents more than 10% of your portfolio and you've bought something and it's now 20% of your portfolio, you need to think about, seriously think about getting back to the 10% mark. Ah. Okay. So 10% is a good figure, a good rule of thumb? No, we tell clients five. 
Okay. We tell clients five, you know, start off at 5%. If you're building a portfolio, try and start off at no more than 5% in each particular stock. Um, that way, if something does go wrong um, and one ends up valued at zero, you're only lost 5% of your overall portfolio. Putting, the, putting these portfolio limits on your stocks is all about managing your risk in the, in the portfolio. There is, there is some academic research from various people that says, Somewhere between 14 and 25 stocks is the ideal way, way of managing your, your risk in your portfolio. So no matter how big your portfolio, 14 to 25 different stocks? There's the, the trade-off, the, the, I mean, the trade-off is, is the more stocks you've got, the harder it is to run, the more diversifying you risk away, because at a certain point you'll actually start to track the market. And if, if your portfolio is so big you want it's going to track the market, um, you're probably better off just buying an ETF, an exchange-traded fund that actually replicates the market, and that's a lot easier to administer than a hundred different stocks. So, so, when you say track the market, what do you mean by that? Well, when you get more and more stocks, um, you know the performance of the portfolio tends to take on that of the. When you get more and more stocks in a diversified portfolio, the performance of the portfolio tends to become that. The, same as the market. And if you look some from evidence of that, if you look at the large listed investment companies, AFIC and Argo, they, they tend to perform, or the long-term performance is slightly better than the, the All Ordinaries Index. And the same with an individual investor. If you end up with 100 stocks in the portfolio, unless you're actively managing it, and I don't know that that's physically possible, um, unless you're spending a very amount, amount of time doing it, yet the portfolio will tend to track the, the market. And then if, you can do, if, if you're doing that, you might as well just buy an ETF and, uh, or one of the listed investment companies. ETF stands for? Exchange Traded Funds. Right. And at the moment, you're better off buying an exchange traded fund than one of the large investment companies because they're actually trading at a premium to their net asset backing and the ETFs are bought and sold at around the NTA. Okay, so there, if you do one of those things, then you've got somebody else looking at the stocks that are going up and down um, and making sure that... Yes, ETFs are passively managed and it just replicates the, the market index. Right. right. Okay. But, but you know, you're going to get one piece of paper instead of 100. <laughs> yeah, that always sounds good. So holiday time is a good time to take a look at your portfolio? Yep, yeah, I'm sure there's some spare time over the holidays to spend a couple of hours on that. Um, most people will be having... Um, a fair few days off over the, the Christmas break and um, having something to eat and friends around and generally, generally a good relaxing. Good this is a Thursday Finance. We do it for our sponsor, Pritchard and Partners, and Stephen Pritchard with us today and investing offshore, Stephen. Why? There must be some good reasons. Um, well, it just further diversifies your portfolio. And, and one of the things you should think about when you're having your uh, clearance sale of your portfolio and you've got some spare cash there is where to reinvest the money. And one, one opportunity you should seriously be looking at is offshore. It, when you hold offshore investments, as the Australian dollar falls, and bear in mind the Reserve Bank, I think, is talking around mid-70 cents as fair value, so it looks like it's going to fall further. Mm. Um, you, you make a gain on those investments without having any underlying returns. So if the, the value of the investment stays at nothing, 
you, you'll make um, a considerable gain just on the currency movement. Um, so you should look at investing offshore to diversify away some of your currency risk if you're, all your investments are in Australia. Um, and there's a number of investment opportunities um, overseas that aren't represented in Australia. Um, some technology stocks, um, Apple, for example, you, it's very difficult to buy those shares in Australia. They're not listed on the ASX. Um, so how you can do it... Um, um, buying equities directly in the US is um, can be done, but it's usually a bit difficult. There's lots of US tax forms you have to fill in. Um, we always recommend to use a couple of uh, managed funds um, if you want something actively managed. Um, so, you know, there's a number of good quality uh, Australian managed funds that are around that you can invest in overseas markets. And we'd probably look at two. There's a, I mean, there's one, there's, there's two we always put together. One concentrates on the US and UK, US and European investments, and the other looks at Asian markets generally. So we try to put those two together, um, recommending a portfolio. And then, of course, there's ETFs, exchange-traded funds, which we're hearing more and more about. There's a number of exchange-traded funds on listed on the ASX that you can buy that invests in um, the UK market, the US market, and there's a couple that invest in our uh, world market. So getting access to um, overseas markets is a lot easier than it used to be in the past. And with the Australian economy continuing to um, deteriorate because of um, the falling commodity prices, it's not a bad idea to have a reasonable amount of your portfolio held in offshore investments. So, uh, <coughs> look at offshore. and offshore, uh, So, uh, commodities or other things in and manufacturing companies, uh, anything in particular? So, no, no, I, just, I, I mean, to start with, I'd, I'd look at a couple of managed funds. Then, yeah, because they choose the stocks. Because they choose the stocks and probably go to, to ETFs. It's, you know, it's really difficult to, to research and pick individual stocks in Australia. Um, and it's even more complex to do it overseas where you don't kind of understand some of the rules. And particularly in the US, there's complicated Ben forms that have to be filled in and... Mm. Um, Best to try and avoid all that, I think, and, and go for some managed funds and, and get comfortable with the idea. And then if you become more adventurous, then start to um, pick stocks, which which usually means um, opening an account um, with one of the brokers that offers offshore um, trade facilities. Mm. Well, that's finance, Thursday finance for today, Stephen Pritchard. Thank you to you and a thank you for the year. Uh, also, thanks to Barry, Barry Preston for the year and finance. So when are we back, Jane? Well, end of January, end after of January. Australia Day. After that's Australia, when Thursday, we'll be back on the Thursday, Thursday after, after that. And uh, have a very happy Christmas.